All right, um, we've got, like I said earlier, we have Mike Terrell that's going to preach for us this morning, um, and he's going to be preaching from 1 Peter 2, 4 through 10. So if you'll open up your worship folder or turn on your device or open up your Bible and read along with me. It says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And so the honor is for you to believe, or excuse me, so the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone, of, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not my people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, guys, I'm, I'm also going to try something different. I, I find the last few times that I've been up there, I'm looking down on you, and I don't really want to be doing that. Um, and I, I hope that t- today that doesn't hinder us as we look um, at God's Word together. But greetings from Notre Dame um, Fremantle. I, I work there as an AFES staff worker. So what do I do there? I'm like a chaplain to um, the evangelical students on campus. And we've been meeting together and reading the Bible together, and about 15 of us are there doing that regularly. We have about uh, four Bible studies each week. And uh, in the past semester, we've had five or six new contacts join us and come along. So that's really cool. Um, And we've had one guy who took away the Gospel of Luke and promised to read it for himself for for the first time in his adult life. And I'm praying for him regularly and I'm asking that God works through that and that he comes and sees the living Jesus for who he really is, the precious stone. Now, rocks and stones are everywhere, aren't they? So you can trip over them, you look at them, you don't know which one's precious, which one's not. Um, They're out in the car park. I can see there's some in the skip bin outside being cleaning up, good on you. Um, They're everywhere, aren't they? Like you dig down in the soil, they're there. They're different shapes, they're different sizes. We all know what rocks and stones are. But if you came across this stone, Would you say it was precious? So can everyone see this one? So it's just a round old, it's a bit lumpy and bumpy and it looks a bit like the moon. Actually, I think even if you turn it this way, it looks a bit like a face. Um, But it's not really good looking, is it? It doesn't look really precious, does it? Um, If you tripped over this in the car park outside, you'd be tempted to kick it away and just go, oh, you stupid stone. Get away from me. You're, you're a silly, funny-looking stone. Well, 
I would do that anyway. You're probably better than me and hold your temper a bit more. Um, but if you have a look at this stone, on the outside it's rough, lumpy, bumpy, and it doesn't look very good, does it? But it's actually a geode. And when you cut it up, it's actually really pretty inside. It's, it's so precious that you might see it down in the Fremantle markets or seen it before. Like, people sell them and trade them, and they're all different colours. They can get them pink and blue and purple, and, and inside there's crystals that form, and they're precious and wonderful. They're fascinating stones. On the outside, they're ugly, but on the inside, they're precious and lovely. Now, the passage today that we're looking at contains one stone that to many people, if they came across it, would just reject it and throw it away. That's what we learnt, isn't it, in, while we're reading it. But others take it and hold it up in the highest regard, and it's precious, wonderful, and beautiful. It's a stone that is living to some, but dead to others. It's a stone which is precious, but some people don't know it. Some people treat this stone with disrespect. They just turf it out in a trash can and it's all gone, never to be thought about again. But others take it, receive it, and go, wow, this is remarkable. They know it for what it is. They understand that this ugly and not very good looking stone is actually precious, wonderful, and good. So let's look at the passage together. So we're going to learn three things today, that Jesus is the precious and living stone, that we as his people are the precious living stones being built into his priestly people, and thirdly, our job as God's precious stones. So firstly, let's look at uh, the passage. So it says in verse 4, you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God, and precious to him. Can you see that there? So we come across a living stone. It's a precious stone. It's a stone which is remarkable and it has good and wonderful center, a good and wonderful center. So as Christians, we've come to the living stone. Some people have rejected it, but God, by his mercy, have chosen us to accept it. So we come to the living stone by trusting Jesus. And we see that in verse 6. Behold, I'm laying, a Zion, uh, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the key element to knowing that Jesus is precious is actually that we take on him uh, we trust in him, sorry, and we believe in him. We trust that Jesus is God's precious stone, the cornerstone, the, the very foundation of our salvation. He's the only one that can save us from sin. Jesus is the precious stone that we should trust in. Now, it would seem a bit weird, I think, that a human being would be described as a stone, isn't it? If someone came up to you and said, hey, I think you're a really good-looking stone, you'd be like, oh, come on, dude, like, that's, that's a bit insulting. Um, or if someone called you a rockhead, 
That'd be insulting, wouldn't it? You'd go, hang on, that, that doesn't go with being human. I'm, I'm not a dead, dormant, ugly face-looking stone, am I? Well, I hope you don't think I am, but if you call another human a stone, you, you just it's a bit rude. I reckon if you did it down the street, people would chase after you, wouldn't they? But Peter is not ashamed to call Jesus a stone. And it's because of who Jesus is. It's because Jesus is the precious stone. So it's a bit different if we were just to call them, okay, you're you're just a piece of gravel, um, compared to, hey, you're the diamond of my life. You know, like, they're two contrasting pictures of the stone. And that's what Peter's doing. He's calling Jesus the one that the master builder takes and shapes and places down at the corner of the building, the most essential piece of the building. He's like the diamond of the building, the one that is precious and on which everything else is built. So how is Jesus precious to God? Well, we see here in this passage that Peter is using some Old Testament imagery or some Old Testament references to help us understand who Jesus is. And I think Peter's doing this because he understands what God has ordained in the past and what Jesus has fulfilled in the present. And he's going back to Psalm 118. He's picking up on some of the Psalms as he writes to God's chosen and precious, precious, sorry, precious people. Right, I'll just take a break here and grab a bit of a drink. Sorry about that. My voice is a bit funny today. So Psalm 118, verses 22 to 25 says this. If you want to turn there, you can, but it's also picked up nearly word for word uh, in 1 Peter. So it says, The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So it's like the picture that the builders are going through their stone pile and they're selecting the most precious stone out of that stone pile to make the cornerstone. So it says, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvellous in our eyes. So the builder is the Lord, is God himself. He selected Jesus to be the cornerstone of salvation. And it says, the next verse, the Lord has done this, done it this very day. Let us be, rejoice and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. So we see in Psalm 118 that Jesus is the cornerstone that brings salvation. So God's building plan is to put Jesus as the centre cornerstone of his salvation plan. So Jesus is the one that saves and brings success in God's eyes. So we've been talking about cornerstones and things like that. I've been briefly explaining them. This building has a cornerstone. Have you gone and found it? It's somewhere out the front there. It was the first laid stone of this whole building. So in tradition, it was, yep, this is the one that's been laid. Sometimes there's an engraving on it. I think there's one here that's a symbolic 
uh, cornerstone where it says this building was uh, made on this date by, um, and this stone was laid by this person. Um, and it's just a symbolic gesture, I think, in this building, but in others, it was the true cornerstone. So it's the very first stone that is set down in place. It's the, the one that's aligned correctly to the, the block of land. It's the one that gets the whole building started off. And if you pull it away, the, the building might still stand, if you're lucky, but it's the most essential, important part of whatever's been built. Every other stone, so if you put your cornerstone down, every other stone is in relation to that stone, isn't it? Because it was the first one, and it's on which the whole building is built. Everything is built in relation to that. So for us as God's people, Jesus is our cornerstone. He's the one that we get our bearings from. He's the one on which we're built on. And our relationship to God is determined by our relationship to Jesus. So if we, we are accepted by God if we accept Jesus as our cornerstone and build our lives on him. But other people might not accept Jesus. And that's a question that Peter's grappling with in this passage as well. If Jesus is a cornerstone and people accept him, what about the people that don't accept him? Well, he's picking up some part of the Old Testament as well to try and help us understand. It's a question that has been going out on throughout the generations of God's people. What about those people that don't accept Jesus? What about them? Is that part of God's plan? Well, actually, it is. If we look at this, we, there's two little hints in our passage that actually show us that it's part of God's plan. So in verse 7, the Old Testament uh, quote comes from Isaiah and it says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Sorry, that's the Psalm 118.1 and it's smushed up against, in verse 8, the one from Isaiah chapter 8, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence. So God's master plan was actually to put Jesus down as a cornerstone for some would hold him up as precious, being super precious and others would just reject him and throw him away. So let's look at Isaiah chapter 8 verses 13 and 14 now. So let's see what, in what relation is Jesus rejected? So why is he rejected by people? So Isaiah chapter 8, verses 13 and 14 says, The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. He will be a holy place for both Israel and Judah. He will be a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. So it it makes us wonder, well, why is Jesus rejected? Well, Jesus is rejected because there's going to be some people who don't think that God is the Holy One, that God isn't the one that they are to fear, the one that they are to dread. He's actually going to cause people to stumble. Now, when we think of the Gospel message, that's what happens. 
when we proclaim the gospel, some people accept it and others don't. That's what happens. We ourselves, as Christians, have only accepted it because God has worked in us. Some will see Jesus as being precious, like that pretty inside of the cracked open geode, but others will not accept Jesus and turf him out onto the trash pile. They will trip over him instead, like a raised concrete tile on the footpath. So you know the one that's out there. I, I walk down that almost every day uh, to Notre Dame, like the days that I'm in, and like some, it was starting to get a bit uneven, and it's like, oh, got to watch that one, got to watch that one, as I was walking down. You've you got to watch the, the stumbling stones, don't you? You've got to make sure that you don't trip over them. We do it while walking, but that's the picture that Peter's putting. He's saying, well, to some people who don't accept, they're just going to trip over and not be saved. And those that keep on walking on, knowing that Jesus is that stumbling stone and the way to get over it is to go, hey, you're a stumbling stone, but actually you're precious. You're wonderful in God's sight. I accept you for who you are and what you've done. Then it becomes not an impedance to salvation, but the actually the means to salvation. So Jesus is precious because Jesus is the one who died for us on the cross and rose from the dead. For some people, that message is just ludicrous. It's crazy. Don't believe that, they say. How could God come and die for you? It's a stumbling stone. For others, like us as Christians, we go, that is wonderful news. God has saved us from our sins. Rejoice, be glad. He is precious. Please treat him as who he is, the precious living stone. So that leaves us with the question, what is your relationship to Jesus? Do you see him as the precious, wonderful, saving stone? Or do you see him as the one that you just go, oh, I can't accept you, get out? Is Jesus your cornerstone? Is he the one that you build your life on, that you assess every decision against? Is he the true and living stone in your life? Well, I hope and pray he is. But, but if you're like me, we struggle with it, don't we? We, we assess our lives and go, right, there's no way that I can match up to Jesus. There's no way that I can place him in the highest regard. I'm, I'm struggling every day to do that. I'm struggling to delight in Jesus. And that's okay. As long as we recognise that we can come to Jesus and ask him to change our hearts, to accept him to be precious and our all-consuming part of our lives. So I think we have idols, things which consume our attention and worship more than Jesus does. That's part of living in this sinful and corrupt world. But if we're distracted by the things of the world, we can come to Jesus and ask him to change our hearts. Ask him to help us put him as our precious cornerstone. Now, other things are going to consume our lives, but it's a bit silly, isn't it, when we know that he is the precious one. He is the true and living stone 
on which we're to base our life on. All right, so the second point. So Jesus is the cornerstone, but what is God building? Let's have a look. So we've learnt that Jesus is a living cornerstone, but we're also living stones. Let's have a look again. So verse 5 says this, you, you people, uh, uh, you yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So God, by his son, is building a spiritual house. But is it a physical one? Is it one which is like this building? Is he putting Jesus down and putting up on blocks on top of poor Jesus and he's weighed down like that? I, I don't think he is. Of course not. That's, that's silly. He's using a metaphor, isn't he? Peter's using a metaphor and he's explaining to us that actually our, ourselves, so you, I, everyone else in this room who have accepted Jesus and believe in him are being made into a spiritual house. So in what sense is Peter using house here? Well, he's using house in a way which, you know, in that time would get across a bit easier. So if you went to someone's house, what would you be primarily doing? Would you be primarily going there to hang out in their building and go, yeah, this is a wonderful building, awesome. Thanks for inviting me over to your house. No, I don't think so, right? What would you be doing? You'd be going to go and share a meal with that family or you'd be going to spend time with that family, be in relationship with that family, wouldn't you? And I think that's the, the sense that Peter's getting at here. He's saying, you are being built into a relational household, one which, by your relationship to Jesus, you've been made one as a family. It's, it's the sense of the word as it's been used. And how do I know? Well, the very next bit after the spiritual house, it's, it's not you've been built into a building, a physical building, but to be a holy priesthood. Now, priesthood conveys that relationship to Jesus, to each other and to outside into the world. It's relational language, right? So the context drives this. So the spiritual house isn't a physical house. It isn't a temple. It isn't things like that. It's actually the, the physical relationships we have with one another um, expressing our relationship with Jesus to one another and to the world. So, Jesus is building his house, not out of dead, lifeless bricks, fortunately, but living and precious stones of which we are. So, Jesus is placing us next to himself, on top of himself, not physically, but relationally, so that each of us are in relationship with him. So, it's not like some bricks are far away and further away from Jesus it's actually, we're all stacked on top. We're all believing in the same gospel. We're all trusting in Jesus. And by that relationship, we can express that relationship to the outside world and to each other. 
So we are God's household. We are Jesus' brothers and sisters relating to God and to each other through Jesus. He is our cornerstone. He is the centre of our lives. And that's the most important thing about our relationship with him. We align ourselves with him by trusting him, by believing that Jesus died and rose from the dead. That's how we align ourselves with Jesus. How do I know this? Well, let's look at verse 7. So, the honour is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now, the, the essential part of this verse is actually, now, to you who believe, this stone is precious. It's, it's the, the one that we haven't rejected. We've actually taken it on. So, belief is central to our relationship with Jesus. Belief enables us to see who Jesus really is. He's precious. He's our cornerstone. For God's people, God has cracked open that ugly and unsaving message for some and showed us that it's actually the saving message and shown us for, uh, that Jesus is the true way, the life. So it's not like Jesus can't save those people. He's actually opened our eyes to the truth and for others, he hasn't. So we pray for them, for God's spirit to work in them. So the message of the cross is precious for us as Christians. So that's why previously in chapter 1, verse 3, Peter can say, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So Jesus becomes our precious cornerstone when we trust and believe God that we're saved by Jesus' death and resurrection. We are saved because we have Jesus as our cornerstone. We are saved because we see Jesus as precious. So others don't see Jesus as precious. They're not saved and they stumble. We see that in verse 8, don't we? So, a stone of stumbling, a rock that causes offence and causes people to fall. The message of the cross makes people stumble if they don't believe the message. And it's not like God is shying away from that. He's actually acknowledged that in the Old Testament and in the New. He knows that people are going to have hard hearts towards him. It's happened throughout the centuries, the millennia. And that's why Psalms 117 and Isaiah 8 and other places like that exist in the Bible. God is not shying away from the truth that Jesus will cause people to stumble. So God has always saved a part of people a part of humanity to be his special people. God has chosen his people to be his precious people. And that's why in verse 9 he can say, but you, you people, you guys, you're a chosen race, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvellous and wonderful light. So we as God's people, collectively, individually, and each other, are God's precious people. And that should be an encouragement, shouldn't it? We should be encouraged by those words. If we have accepted Jesus, we are God's precious people. We are loved by him, we are cherished by him, and we are used by him. And that's why we get to our third point. Our job is, as God's priestly people, is to proclaim his praises. So our job as God's priestly people is to proclaim his praises. The implication is, is that we're not only just proclaiming it to each other, but to outsiders as well. So priests, that's the role of the priest in the Old Testament uh, tabernacle or temple, was to not only do the sacrifices for the people of Israel, but people who are coming from outside as well. But we are too, in our new role, as God's holy people, our new spiritual house, so to speak, is to proclaim the message of the cross. So the fact that Jesus died and rose from the dead to pay for sin is a pretty simple message to take to each other and to the outside world, isn't it? It's quite a short message. It's a gospel that saves But for some, people are going to accept it and others are going to reject it. We are to proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So I think the implication of verse 9 is that our salvation message has been given by God and God's salvation plan has been enacted in our lives so that we can proclaim it to others. It's like our testimonies proclaim the praises of Jesus. The fact that he saved us, that we haven't found him to be a stumbling stone, that God has worked in us to accept him and praise him. So God, by sending his son to die for us, has saved us from death. He saved us from death And that's great news to proclaim, isn't it? To say to someone, look, God has saved me. He saved me from his wrath. He saved me from eternal death. Isn't that a remarkable message? Isn't it remarkable that God has revealed not only that we are saved, but the method and means by that salvation, Jesus dying on the cross and raising from the dead. So I think, just to put this in a bit more of our context, so imagine a hostage scene. So we've seen them in movies. Hopefully you've never been in one. If you have, uh, I'm sorry if this triggers something in you. Um, So a bank robber takes a hostage. They hold them at gunpoint and say, right, I need a helicopter and all the money in the the vault to take it away. Uh, And he brings out and gives the demands, but then instead 
of the demands being met. A rescuer comes out of the ceiling through the skylight, kicks the hostage taker in the head and knocks him unconscious. Um, what a great story, isn't it? Movies do it all the time. But you're the hostage. How are you feeling at that time? Are you going, oh man, it would have been just easier just to let him go and uh, get away scot-free, like with all that money? Or were you like, well, uh, you wouldn't like go to your friend and go, you know what, like, uh, what, did, what happened today? And you just go, oh, nothing. Nothing, mate, it's, it's all fine. It's all fine, like, yeah, just at the bank, you know. Um, yeah, just went and did some banking. And yeah, it was all fine. Good stuff. That's the end of the story. No, you'd be, you, that would be a bit silly, wouldn't it? You'd be proclaiming the praises of, your, of the rescuer, wouldn't you? You'd be going, you know what, there was this crazy thing today, like, I was at the bank, and this guy took me hostage. And your mate's like, what, took you hostage? And you're like, yeah, he had a gun and everything. And, and your mate's like, what happened? And he's like, oh, a guy just zip-lined out of the skylight, knocked him unconscious, and I was released from the bank, and, yeah, I'm a bit shaken up. And your mate goes, yeah, I can tell. But you're saved. You're, you, you've been saved out of that banking situation, like that hostage situation. That happens to nobody. Wow, that's, that's amazing, isn't it? So, like you can see in a secular world, in the world we'd, we want to proclaim the praises of our rescuer, but I think when it comes, to, it comes deep down to it, we're a bit hesitant. Like, people love a rescue story, don't they? They love it. Like, your mate would be sitting there going, tell me more, tell me more. How? Were there other hostages? Were, like, what gun was he holding? Like, he'd be asking questions. I think, I think that's, yeah, a really examines our hearts when we think, oh, look, okay, so what is our hostage situation? Well, God has saved us from death. He saved us from his wrath. And yet we're, we're kind of hesitant about it because we're scared that people are going to reject us and reject the word. But what if we were excited about it? What if we went out and went, you know what? I'm going to declare the praises of God. I'm going to do the job that I've been saved to do. I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it well. Wouldn't it be nice if you could just like sit next to your mate at the bar and go, you know what, today was remarkable. And your mate goes, what? Why? Oh, I was just reflecting on how I've been saved. Well, saved? Saved from what? Oh, saved from sin and death. What? What? death? Tell me about this. Like, what, what is it about the gospel message that we're afraid of? We have the greatest salvation message to proclaim. We've got the fact that we're backed by God as his precious and chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Like, he's given us the street cred. He's given us the, the greatest, like, honour within his chosen people, the royal priesthood, the holy nation, and where to proclaim his excellencies. I think if you're a bit ho-hum, if, like sometimes I get like it too, right? It's like, ugh, how can I live today? Like, uh, what, what has happened? Like, uh, 
yeah, everything just seems to be going wrong. People haven't accepted me, and I don't feel precious. We're laughed at work or uni or school, and people are like kind of nearly telling us off for representing Jesus. And it's hard, isn't it? We lose friends and family, and I'm sorry if that's you, when we've told them how much Jesus means for us. But it's hard. But we've got the backing of Jesus. We've got the backing of God when we're proclaiming God's praises. He's got us. He's got you. It's not like we're judged on our ability to proclaim the gospel. Don't worry. Do it in your own way. God doesn't judge us because he has judged Jesus. And that's the greatest part. We find Jesus as a precious stone. And because of that, God thinks we are precious. It doesn't matter if people reject you. God accepts you because God loves you and thinks you are precious. We are free to proclaim the gospel. So today we've seen the three things. So Jesus is a living and precious stone. So for some, he just looks like a normal stone without the hidden and true message that has been revealed to his people to proclaim. People are just going to treat Jesus as the not precious stone that he is. But we have the message which says, hey, look, that's actually a geode. Crack it open. Have a look. Get inside it. Jesus is the precious and living stone. Jesus, so we see that Jesus is a living and precious stone, that Jesus builds us collectively and individually into his priestly people. And our job is to proclaim the fact that Jesus is precious and worthy to be praised. So what now? What are we to do? I think I've touched on it a bit as I've gone through, but just to remind you, so Jesus is the living and precious cornerstone. And I think firstly, we can't walk away from today without not thinking that we don't need to be excited about Jesus. He's precious, he's wonderful. We need to get excited about his saving work and remind ourselves of it. Don't worry, I need it constantly. My wife says, look, have you considered the gospel today? You, you feel it, you look kind of down. It's a remarkable message. It's God's saving message. It's the message which places death where it's meant to be. Defeated, ready to be destroyed when Jesus returns. And secondly, I think another implication is that if we think we can build our lives on something other than Jesus, this passage is actually a warning for us. So the first one was an encouragement. Don't worry, God's got your back. The second one is, hey, consider Jesus. Look through your life. Think about, am I building on Jesus as my cornerstone? To reject Jesus as our cornerstone is going to end in eternal death. That's a warning. It's going to cause not only offence, it's kind of like shame and honour is also involved. Reject Jesus and you face death. We'll be alone for eternity. But then the third one is like, well, what if we fail? What if we don't proclaim Jesus? What if we don't get excited about Jesus? That's all right. God's got your back. He's already chosen you to be precious 
and living for him. We can come to Jesus and say, look, I've stuffed up. That's okay. So I think we can encourage each other in these things, that we are precious because Jesus has chosen us to be his and that we can live for him, proclaiming his praises because he doesn't cause us offence. He doesn't cause us to stumble. So maybe as we have morning tea after the service, maybe we can encourage each other with these things. How are you finding Jesus? What, what things are getting you down that actually Jesus' praises can be proclaimed into? How can we encourage each other to hold on to Jesus? And I do pray that throughout the rest of our lives that Jesus doesn't become the rejected one, but he remains our precious and living stone on which we build our whole lives. Amen.